This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Faith is a boring topic. I've been preaching now for almost 50 years. And I guess almost every sermon I've ever had, in some form or fashion, had faith involved in it. Not only that, I suppose every, almost every sermon I've ever heard, with the exception of a few, has in some form or fashion had faith involved in it. So one might say, well, you know, it's just a tired subject. It's just been wore out, and it's been preached to death, and, and it's, just, it's just a bit of a boring subject. But the problem is, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter and 6th verse, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So this boring topic, without it, it is impossible to please God. Can't do it. Can't be done. And the writer also suggests two areas in which faith is necessary. He said, first, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists, that God exists, that God is the creator, that God is the founder of everything, that he is Alpha and Omega. We must believe that fact. We must have faith in that fact. And... Also, that he is the one that offers us eternal salvation. He is the rewarder. As Sean put it this morning, Jesus is the judge. He's the one that will make those determinations. Do you believe that? The Bible says we can't please God if we don't believe those two things. If we don't have, have those two predetermined areas of faith. So it's up to us in our life to build the proper kind of faith, the faith that God expects us to have. In a previous lesson on uh, Second Peter, we, uh, the first lesson uh, that we did on Second Peter, uh, Peter was addressing this epistle, the Second Peter of epistle, to those whom he said had a faith like the apostles had. 2 Peter 1 and 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Like precious faith. You know, this boring topic that we use so many times as I read that scripture right there, that we should have a like precious faith as the apostles, that's intimidating to me. It really is. That I'm supposed to have the faith that those guys had. But do you realize that the apostles' faith was not unlike ours? It had to be built. It had to grow over time. They had to learn. They had to come into this faith. We, we look at the faith that many of the apostles had. We look at, at Peter when he denied Jesus. and went, Boy, that's, that faith was kind of weak. How would we have been? 
And then you look at later in life after Jesus had arisen from the dead. And you see Peter's faith then, and there's nothing that would cause him to waver. Not at all. Not for a moment would he waver. Seems like two different people. But Peter's faith had grown to that point. Ours has to grow in that way too. And that's the kind of faith that that Peter was describing here was was how we should have that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that God expects us to have. And it has to be built, but it has to have a proper foundation. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about this evening. Just the very grassroots, the foundation of the faith that God wants us to have. The foundation of the faith that Peter said that we should eventually have. It was also, we noticed in that in that topic that uh, this precious faith is a conviction within someone. It's a, it's a trust in Jesus that one must have in order to be pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. But what foundation does our faith rely on? What is this precious faith that Peter talks about? What's the foundation? Is it just a blind faith? Well, I've been around the Bible all my life. The Bible says it, so I believe it. You know, is is it gullibility? Are we just being misled? You know, in some cases, that might be the truth. In some cases. But that's not the kind of faith that Peter said we ought to have. And that's not the kind of faith that God said it was impossible to believe, please him without. That faith is something different. It's not a blind faith. It's not a gullible faith. It's a true faith. You know, some would say, well, of the apostles, we're supposed to have a a like faith as the apostles had. They, They saw Jesus. They lived with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They were connected to Jesus. It was easy for them to have that kind of faith, right? But Jesus told Thomas in John 20 and 29, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are they that have not seen me and yet believe. So yes, I guess you can say the apostles had some sort of advantage But God expects us to believe. He expects us to have this kind of faith in spite of the fact that we don't see him with our eyes anymore. The fact that we are not able to walk with him. We spiritually walk with him, but we do not physically walk with him in this day and age. But we're still expected to have that kind of faith. Beginning with the very first sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and continuing throughout the New Testament time, all the epistles, you consider all of the apostles, all of their preaching, all of their teaching, there were two lines of evidence that they never wavered very far from when it came to faith. One was the testimony of the apostles' eyewitnesses. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter said, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. That was a statement for Peter. 
Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. There's a bunch of other scriptures that, that also indicate the same thing. If you'd like to look at those sometime. So there were, the apostles were eyewitnesses to the things that, that happened as Jesus walked there on the face of this earth. They were eyewitnesses to what he taught. They were eyewitnesses to how he lived. They were eyewitnesses to his death, his burial. And ultimately, they were eyewitnesses to his resurrection as well. They saw all of these things. But as apostles and teachers, they also taught something else that was a very foundation of faith. And that was the testimony of Old Testament prophecy. They continually taught those things. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, To him give all the prophets witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, this scripture gave me a little bit of difficulty. It's a little hard scripture to read. To him give all the prophets witnesses. I don't, wanna, I don't understand what that's talking about. Maybe it's just me. I've never been the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I believe for one thing we've got a, an error in punctuation here. I think we've got a comma that was left out right there. And it changes the meaning a little It doesn't change the meaning, but it changes how we'd interpret it. To him give all the prophets witness. You see the difference? The prophets gave their witness to Jesus. That's what their responsibility was. It would be easier for me to understand at least if it was worded, all the prophets gave him witness or gave Jesus witness. That was the responsibility of the prophets. That's the meaning of the scripture here. We also have, again, other scriptures as well that indicates the same thing. Even in the second epistle, we find Peter referring to these two lines of evidence that we want to consider a little bit this morning. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, we're going to read this scripture and then we're going to go back and, and uh, break down a few of these things. The Bible says there in 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, we re for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory that is from God, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of this scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, hopefully this passage of Scripture serves to reinforce our faith in Jesus. It's a solid foundation. It provides eyewitness testimony. Let's consider a little more closely what, what Peter has to say about this. And I want to back up just, just briefly 
and, and touch on something that will probably get away from me if I don't do it right now. They're in the 19th verse. I want you to notice this writing right here. Again, it's a little confusing. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Apparently, prophecy was a sure thing. It was a sure word. It was something that you could, that you could really focus on and understand that it was truth. But here, Peter says that there's a more sure word, or that this prophecy is a more sure word. Now, how does that happen? How, how, how is it more sure? Well, apparently, this prophecy served as a light. He said, Peter says, where until you do well that you take heed to. So you, it, you do well if you, if you study the prophecy of old, the Old Testament. That's what it's talking about here. And you do well if you study that. He says it serves as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. You know what the old prophecy did? It shed some light on things. Like a candle, like a lamp. You could see things. You could see things. It was never designed to be a perfect light. It never th made things perfectly clear. But other th things that would remain kind of obscure, kind of dark, kind of hard to understand, it shed some light on those things. And it pointed us in a direction. And Peter says as other things begin to come to light until the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts until you get into the New Testament until you get into which wasn't available at this time in written form anyway but as you begin to consider those things as you begin, begin to consider the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus then those things become more sure. Those prophecies are understood. It becomes more clear. It becomes more sure. And they serve as a testimony. Both of these things do. Now moving, moving on. Uh, I want to consider for a few minutes the testimony of the eyewitnesses of the apostles. <clears throat> Their testimony was not cunningly devised fables. That's what Peter said. Or... Uh, to be found in other translations, we were not following cleverly devised legends, one translation puts it. Another says, for we were not, for they were no fictitious stories that we followed. And yet another says, it was not on tales artfully spun that we relied. That's how some translators put these words that Peter put as cunningly devised fable. And he said, that's not what we we followed. 2 Peter 1 and 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <clears throat> you know, if that did not happen, as some would say today, that it did not happen, if, in fact, it did not happen, then that's exactly what they did. They made fables. They made lies. And they cunningly formed things that were not true in order to get people to follow them. But why would they do that? Either they were telling the truth or they were fabricating lies. 
Now, in the world we live in today, people don't like for you to boil it down to either-or situations. Well, maybe that was their truth. Maybe, maybe that's how they saw it. But that's not the way it was. Either they were telling the truth or they, they were telling lies. That's the only two possibilities. Well, why, why do we say that? Why is that the only two alternatives? Because they were eyewitnesses. You know, sometimes we deal with people today that are not eyewitnesses. They're just telling what someone else told them. A story someone else relayed to them. And then they relay it. And then someone else relays it. That's not the case here. These guys saw the situation surrounding Jesus. They claimed that they were eyewitnesses. They owned up to that fact. And they broadcast what they knew about Jesus, concerning Jesus. You know, I was told one time that eyewitness testimony was not, uh, not always accurate. And I guess that may be true when it comes to mankind. But in this instance... How could you take these men who had saw, they had walked, they had talked with Jesus, they had heard him, they had listened to him, they had sat at his feet, they had learned from him, and you're going to tell them that they didn't see what they saw? You see what I'm getting at? There was no one to argue with them. There was no one that could take that from them. They had something that no one else had, and we'll see that in just a moment. Their interaction with Jesus was intimate beyond anybody else's interaction with Jesus. Peter said to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 41, not to all the people, not to all the people, not everyone had this blessing, this benefit. Peter says, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us, including himself, who did eat and drink with him after, after he rose from the dead. Not everybody had that benefit, but they did. The apostles did. Listen to what John wrote in 1 John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled, of the word of life. And that's what John said. John said, look, we've heard him. We've seen him with our own eyes. We've looked on him. Remember Thomas? Thomas thrust his hand in his side. Thomas felt the nail prints in his hand. John said, we've handled him. It's true. It's all true. I'd like to just give you a, a little bit of a <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of a sample of their eyewitness testimony because Peter relayed this, this example in his epistle. He he relayed this very event in, in verses 16 through 21 that we just read a moment ago. But let's go back to Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning in the second verse. Mark writes here and records, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter 
and James and John and leadeth them up into the high mountain apart from themselves and he, and he was transfigured before them. Now there's an event that no one else saw. Just these men. Chapter, uh, verse 3, And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto him, Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make the three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were so afraid. Now, I can identify with old Peter perfectly here. He, did, he just explained it. We were afraid, and we didn't know what to say. So what did he say? He said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one to Elias, one to Moses, and one to you. Seems reasonable. Except as we continue on, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Forget about Moses. Forget about Elias. They're in the past. You hear Jesus. This is what Peter and James and John saw. They were eyewitnesses to this. Now, just try to put yourself in their position just for a moment. Say you'd been there. Somebody going to talk you out of that? No, you didn't see what you thought you saw. No, they saw it. They were eyewitnesses of it. And suddenly when they looked around about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Now listen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And you know what? They didn't. They didn't relay that event until after Jesus had risen from the dead. And then they did. And then they told everyone. And they would not be denied. It would not be taken away from them. Their faith never wavered after that. So I think you'd agree that this event depicted the majesty and the power and the authority and the glory that Jesus had. It certainly illustrates the nature of their testimony. They saw Jesus changed right before them. They heard the voice of God come down and say, This is my son, hear him. Don't hear Elias, don't hear Moses, hear Jesus. You know, the fact that this event, like many others in the life of Jesus, was seen by a plurality of witnesses should only serve to strengthen the force of their testimony and should only serve to strengthen our faith as well. What, what does this mean? Peter and the rest of the apostles really leave us with only two possibilities. Because of the strength of their eyewitness testimony, they leave us with two possibilities. Either they were telling the truth about Jesus or they were fabricating fables and lies. That's the only two possibilities. Now, given the fact that of the life that they led before Jesus was risen from the dead, 
the faith they had then compared to the faith they had after Jesus was risen from the dead. Given the fact that many times they walked away from Jesus, they denied Jesus, they didn't support Jesus before, and then after he was risen from the dead, they would not waver at all. Given the fact that most of them were killed because they preached the word of God, because they defended Jesus to the maximum, most of them were killed. And yet they did not waver at all. So you tell me which is more likely, the true case, that they were telling the truth or that they were dying, being killed and crucified for a lie, for a fable. Seems very obvious to me which they would be. <clears throat> you know, even Jesus realized that their testimony would be important to mankind. I want you to look at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus says, neither pray I for these alone. Who? The apostles. That's who he was talking about. Neither pray I for the apostles alone. He was praying for the apostles, just not for them alone. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He was praying for you and I today. Because we were supposed to believe what the apostles said. We were supposed to follow their eyewitness testimony. And Jesus prayed that we would. That we would have that confidence. But there's even more uh, that serves to support our faith in Jesus. And that's the testimony of, of prophecy. Those things that came of old. <clears throat> uh, Again, in, in 2 Peter 1, uh, beginning in about verse 19, we see what Peter had to say about the prophetic word. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now listen, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not of old time, but by the will of man. By the will of man. But the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is talking about the Old Testament. Prophecies of the Old Testament. Those things which bore witness to the coming of the Messiah. And we see what Peter described these things is. Let's go back to the Old Testament and just let's just read one of these one of these prophecies. Isaiah nine, verses six through seven. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish, with the judge, establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is a prophecy of the Old Testament. Do you think that had any value to the people of that time? That they could look at that prophecy and see things that were expected to come and to 
be on the lookout for those things. He'll try to, try to discern when they actually arrive. And the, the apostles very often appealed to, this, to these uh, efforts when they were trying to convince others of, the, of Jesus and of the life of Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, And Paul, as his manner was, went into them three Sabbath day, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. You know what scriptures? The Old Testament. That's the scriptures he was using. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That's the scriptures that Paul was using when he would stand up in the synagogues and preach. And these prophecies, Peter said, have made a more sure way. Just by their very fulfillment. People could see these prophecies begin to be fulfilled. And they remembered when the prophecy was made. And it made a lot more sense. It cast a lot more light on those things. <clears throat> Before their fulfillment, there was just hope that they would actually happen. Now after their fulfillment, you could look back and you could see that it was just served to strengthen your faith. It just served to cast light on Jesus, that he was the true son of God. <clears throat> it's these fulfilled prophecies which support and strengthen our faith. Peter also said that uh, those people of that time, and we as well today, would do well to study the Old Testament scriptures. The fact that we know today that they have been fulfilled just makes it that much easier. Paul commanded Timothy to do this very thing in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now listen, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. What holy scriptures? The Old Testament. That's what Timothy knew. That's what Timothy had studied all his life. That's what people had taught Timothy. Paul said, Pay attention to those things. Thou from a child hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. <clears throat> they give our faith root. They give our faith substance. They give us something to hang on to. They confirm our faith in Jesus. They Help develop patience and comfort and hope. Romans 15 and 4 says, For whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for your learning, that we through patient, patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's what the, what the old scriptures are written for. They're written for our learning, that we might have, learn to have patience and comfort and through those things, we might develop the hope that we need to have. But we need to understand the origin of prophecy. To appreciate the value of prophecy and supporting our faith, we need to know where it came from. And Peter explains that very thing in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. 
that's kind of confusing to us because we, we feel like we, we have to interpret Scripture. In, or, in order to come to a more perfect understanding of it, we have to interpret it. But that's not what's being talked about right here. This, this is kind of difficult again, and I'm not a very big NIV fan, but as I was looking through this and I looked at the Scripture in the NIV, it, it clicked with me, and, and I think this is, the, this is the way it ought to be worded. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Now you think about that a little bit. The prophet was just providing what he had been told. He wasn't interpreting Scripture. It didn't come by, by his own translation. All the prophet was doing was telling what he had been told. Now, consider what Peter said in, in verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now think about that in, in what relation to what we know about the New Testament. We understand, because it's been taught over and over and it's recorded in Scripture over and over, that the, the Scripture of the New Testament was brought about by Jesus and by the fact that he provided the Holy Spirit to bring into remembrance to the apostles what they should record and what they should write down. It wasn't the apostles' own thoughts. Some of it was their memories of, of different uh, situations surrounding Jesus, but it was brought to their memory by the Holy Spirit. And then they recorded those things. And that's for our admonition. Now, Peter's referring here to the Old Testament. And he says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Same thing. It didn't come by the will of man. But the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Same thing. Those prophets of old were moved by the Holy Spirit to record those things that they were told. It all come from God. It's not, there's not any devices of men involved in this. <clears throat> so the prophecies of the Old Testament were not the views and concepts of men, but they were inspired by the Spirit. They, were, they came from God. So when we realize this, it should just further uh, support our faith and cause us to have a strength in faith. Our faith in the Old Testament was inspired by the Word of God. Our faith in Jesus as our Savior was inspired by the, by the will of God, by the Holy Spirit. You know, this faith is certainly precious. I think we can see that, that it is indeed very precious. It's precious because it comes from so much effort by the apostles, the design by God. It's just, it's just a precious thing to have. The apostles saw and heard the things that Jesus did. And they suffered greatly because they taught it and recanted. And they, they responded to what they saw. And they taught what they saw. 
the divine prophecy of the Old Testament spoken in ages past by men moved by the Spirit of God confirmed to be true by those prophecies' fulfillment. That kind of faith is not a blind faith. It's not a gullible faith. It's solid evidence. This is the sort of faith that Jesus wants you to have. It should be the sort of faith that you want to have because it causes different things in our life. It gives us opportunities in our life. John 20 and verse 30 and 31 says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The opportunity of eternal life comes because of the design of God. That he calls these things to be written in a book. That we could study, that we could learn, that we could understand God's will for us. In Acts chapter 10 verse 43, the Bible says, To him give all the prophets witness. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You know, we don't have the opportunity of remission of sins unless we know what, what to do, how to live, how to respond to God's call. We don't have that opportunity. We only have that opportunity because we have faith in the things that were written for our admonition. But to do this, we must have an obedient faith in Romans Chapter 1, verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Obedience. If we don't have obedience to this faith, then we have nothing. And the first steps are clearly outlined in, by Jesus and by his apostles, by their recording of his, his will and his word. Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. If you're missing out on this precious faith like the apostles had, the apostles who were eyewitnesses, if you're missing out on it, it's not because God wants you to miss out on it. He wants you to have that kind of faith. He wants that faith to be strong in you. He wants that faith to be strong in you so you don't fear what this world may place upon you. You don't have to fear about the evils that come from this world. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to have faith that can spiritually move mountains. That's what he desires for you. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.